Welcome to another Gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. I was just a shy kid in year four when one of the kids at school told me that Amanda and me were now boyfriend and girlfriend. Uh, this was news to me, although I do have a vague memory somewhere, somewhere in there of then being invited to the top oval at Thornley Pr- Primary School uh, for catch and kiss, although I think I did more hiding than catching or kissing. Uh, and then before I knew it, having never spoken to Amanda for um, the whole period of our courtship, that it was over, um, such as the game of love, especially in year four. There comes this point in our kind of childhood and our teenage years where we kind of get this message and perhaps start believing that if we're just liked by the right people, perhaps especially by the right boy or girl, then we will be okay, we'll be enough, we'll be complete, we'll be whole, we'll be fulfilled. At the same time, I think, I think somewhere around the same time, we actually start learning to hide parts of ourselves because what if I'm not loved? And one of the interesting things is um, we find here, hiding in the middle of the Bible, and maybe it's a pleasant surprise that there's this book called The Song of Songs that's this celebration of true love. There is a whole book about human love in the Bible and specifically that beautiful, nervous, rapturous, erotic love between a man and a woman, naked and unashamed, we'll see next week, body and soul for life. In chapter 1, verse 1, this book is called The Song of Songs. Um, And in the Old Testament, that's a a kind of um, an expression, the holy of holies in the temple was, was the room that was the most holy room. And so it's like the beer of beers, Right, the, the greatest beer, and this is the greatest song. Um, it's one song, but as you read it, it's made up of a series of songs that at times seem to kind of meander and cut, recover some themes they've already covered, but it does build towards a crescendo. It's a song about love and about intimacy and about desire and about sex and about the beauty of the human body. And if you haven't realised yet, the Bible has its own book of erotic poetry. And just to break all the gender stereotypes, I think, I mean, it's poetry, right? But I think the last two verses of the books are her, her, let me get this right, he wants to talk and she wants to have sex, Um, just to break all the gender stereotypes. Um, We're also told um, that this is the song literally of Solomon. That's the kind of expression in Hebrew, which might mean that King Solomon was the author or it could be this is kind of in the style of Solomon. Okay, so in the Old Testament, all of the Psalms are associated with King David, Um, although that doesn't mean that he wrote them all. And similarly, the wisdom books, um, the books like Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, are associated with King Solomon. He was known as a wise king, mostly, but that doesn't mean that he wrote every single word of all those books. Now, in Israel's history, King Solomon is kind of the high point. Um, King David was the great warrior king who's celebrated in the Old Testament. He kind of secured the borders. Uh, He wanted to build a temple, a house uh, for the worship of God, but he's not allowed to. That has to wait for his son, Solomon. Uh, And Solomon is the one who goes on to build the temple, the son of David. Solomon, of course, is also known for having 700 wives and 300 concubines. He was like the Hugh Hefner of the ancient world, actually. 
And actually, that's part of what undid him. And Israel's history goes into decline after Solomon. Um, and so here's the kind of strange thing. Even if Solomon knew about sex, is he really the guy to write the song, the book about true love? And so we're going to keep wrestling with that question of who really wrote this. This is a song about true love. Um, and there is something about love that makes for singing. Uh, not, you don't kind of, you know, that love doesn't make you set up a spreadsheet or write an essay. There's something about love that makes for singing. And so uh, we're just going to play a quick game of pick the love song. Okay, so first hands up. I've got cherry ripes. They were the most romantic, you know, ones I could find. Um, okay, so uh, thank you, Mr. Music. Here we go. If I was a flower growing wild. It's from a movie. Yes, it is from a movie. What's that? It is from Juno. Any advance on from Juno? That'll do. All right, here's the long version. If I was a flower growing wild and free, all I'd want is you to be my sweet honeybee. And if I was a tree growing tall and green, all I'd want is you to shade me and be my lead. There you go. Beautiful, sweet, in love. Um, after they've had kind of awkward sex and, you know, a baby and all the rest. And then they kind of fall in love. Um, and one of the things that Song of Songs is going to talk about, about kind of getting the order right. Uh, next uh, song, here we go. Yeah, yes. You're n yeah, you're nobody until somebody loves you. That's actually not Sinatra. Can I do this? Dean Martin. You know what? I've got extras today, so... Oh, there you go. There you go. You're till somebody loves you So find yourself somebody to love you nobody until somebody loves you So quick, better go find someone to love you. We're going to have a think about that. Okay, next song. Come on. All you had to do is put your hand up, right? Alicia was first. There you go, Beyonce. And, and chapter 2, verse 7 is all the single ladies, right? The daughters of Jerusalem, uh, don't, you know, don't stir up love too quickly. And if you're going to, put a ring on it. I'm not going to throw this because I've got an old story about hitting a senior citizen in the forehead. <coughs> That's a story for another day. Okay, what's next? What's the name of the song? Love Story, there you go. Okay, uh, love makes you feel like a prince and princess. Okay, and last one. Beckling, Ed Sheeran, what's the name of the song? Think you out loud. There we go. Have I got enough? Oh, Roxy, you, got, you just got yourself. We'll be loving you till we're 70. There we go. You just pass those back. I'll be loving you until we're 70. Is that the line? I don't know what happens after that. Kind of um, it's a little bit goes downhill once you turn 70. Um, one of the things we're going to see that this is about love for life is what's on view in the Song of Songs. Okay, uh, let's get into the text. Um, there's something about love that makes for singing. 
And uh, one of the beautiful things about the Song of Songs is before they enjoy each other's bodies, they excite each other with their words. So let's have a look. Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine, your anointing oils are fragrant, your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. Now you can see, um, uh, just as it was read for us, there's a couple of headings. There's a he and a she and then the others. The others seems to be mostly um, the daughters of Jerusalem, which might mean either like the young ladies of the city of Jerusalem um, all the single ladies, or possibly King Solomon's harem. Um, and there's another one we'll need to think about. Um, but the first voice, interestingly, is this female voice. And in the Song of Songs, she does most of the talking and she's got the best lines. She's not passive or shy. She voices her feelings and she knows what she wants. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Or uh, for your, and I think literally, love making is better than wine. Now, here's a voice of female sexuality, because female or male, single or married, we've all been created as sexual beings, although our identity is deeper than our sexuality. And then in verse 3, notice that she sees more in him than just sex appeal. Uh, Verse 3, your anointing oils are fragrant, your name is oil poured out, therefore the virgins love you. Right? She praises his name. I don't think she's talking about you know, the, the name of the loved one in the middle of a sentence that makes a, that, you know, the heart skip a beat. I don't think it's that. I think she's talking about his character, his name. That's what she finds so alluring. In fact, that's all the girls do. She says, the virgins love you. Now, sadly, in our culture, a lot of good men and women are overlooked because they don't have the looks. We've got this society kind of obsessed with image where a person's character can't, can't be tested and seen in an instant, in a crowd, you know, where, where the possibilities of love are kind of cut off immediately, or on a screen where someone's swiped away in like a millisecond. And here we're being encouraged to see something more than that, actually. Um, we've got these um, kind of modern fairy tales and these endless possibilities of online dating that leave a lot of people who would like to find love in options paralysis. I mean, I've found someone who's kind and godly, but, but maybe there's someone out there who's kind and godly and good-looking and got money. So, friends, if you're someone who hopes to be married, um, please, would you look beyond the looks to that comprehensive attraction? Um, and if you are someone who is married, can I ask you, do you praise your husband's name amongst your friends? If you're a husband, do you... Do you exalt your wife with your words or bring her down? Next week we're going to see that she is in love with his body. Thanks, Ed Sheeran. But first, she praises his name. It's really important. And she longs to be together with him. Uh, Verse 4 says, draw me after you. Let us run. She wants to be with him, but actually love's never that simple. In fact, the the intimacy that we seek is also the intimacy that can make many of us hide. In fact, let's have a look. Chapter 1, verse 5. I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards. 
but my own vineyard I have not kept. It seems her brothers have forced her to work outside in the hot uh, Palestinian sun. She hasn't had time to look out for herself or care for her complexion. Now, some of the cultural references don't translate to today. One of the things we'll see next week is, um, he, you know, he says to her, you know, your teeth are like a flock of goats. She goes, oh, well, it's not so romantic. Um, but, uh, and I suspect in our day, a lot of Anglos would actually like to have a bit more kind of suntanned olive skin, except in her culture, it makes her feel insecure. She's got these insecurities about her body image. And perhaps you know that feeling. The mean that she would prefer to hide, verse 6, she says, don't gaze at me, just, just, just look away. I don't want you to look at me. And yet in the midst of this, there's also this, this confidence amidst her insecurity because she says, I'm very dark but lovely. So here's the question. What could overcome the insecurities of a teenage girl and make her feel lovely? Answer? the love of another. And in verse 7, she goes searching for this one that she loves. And then uh, we finally get to meet her man, who turns out to be a shepherd boy. And let's read from verse 8. She's looking for him and he, he says, If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, you can find me by following in the tracks of the flocks and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Okay, so now it's his turn to write the next verse of this love song. And uh, you might notice he's blind to her imperfections and her insecurities that she's raised. To him, she is just as beautiful as a horse. Uh, like a mare. Now, you can almost get the analogy though, can't you? Like um, Farlap, like this majestic you know, stunning, strong, regal. Uh, I think that, you know, if you can get your head into that zone, you can see where he's going with it. Maybe the next line's a bit safer ground. Your cheeks are lovely. That's kind of a bit safer, right? Now, the other thing that's interesting here is that there's a mention of a king. Uh, it was there in verse 4 and verse 12 as well. So here's the strange thing. We know this: the, the lover is a shepherd boy. So what's... How come we're being told about a king? Um, and you could ask a similar question to the one before. I mean, what could turn a humble boy into uh, a king? Answer, the love of another. Uh, that's Taylor Swift, isn't it? You know, you'll be the prince, I'll be the prince. Love, love can lift us up where we belong and make us feel um, like a king or queen. But the fact that King Solomon is in the background of this um, passage here, uh, he's mentioned a couple of times, I think makes that probably a stretch. And so actually a number of commentators think that um, this love song isn't a duet, but a love triangle. Uh, so Barry Webb, a very eminent Hebrew scholar and uh, who studied these texts, uh, he paints this picture, and I'm just going to read for you. He says, this is, this, this is the story. A country girl from northern Israel is brought to Jerusalem and chosen by Solomon to be one of the women in the royal household. At first she is very flattered and falls in love with the king and imagines herself having a royal wedding. But after a while her, th her thoughts return to her true lover, who is a humble shepherd. She thinks of him constantly, longs to be with him 
and dreams of making love to him on their wedding night. At last her longing is fulfilled, and at the end of the poem we see the girl and her true lover walking arm in arm as husband and wife and reminiscing about all that has happened since he first began to woo her until now, when they are at last together again. The story ends with a quiet epilogue that implies that they lived happily ever after. Now, did you kind of, if you can get your head in that, can you see how that works? Now, um, we'll need to keep thinking about that. Is this a duet or a love triangle? Now, in some ways, I don't think it matters too much for how we kind of, you know, absorb and make sense of this. But one of the big other kind of themes that comes out of the Song of Songs is before anyone gets to that kind of fairy tale ending, there's a lot of kind of hide and seek, like a game. Um, her insecurities make her want to hide, even though she knows she's loved. And then in what seems to be a dream sequence, I mean, it's poetry, so you've got to get your kind of head into it. Um, in chapter 3, verse 1, she's searching for him, but can't find him. In fact, let's read this bit, uh, Song of Songs, chapter 3, verse 1. On my bed by night, I think that's a kind of signal of this a dream, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go. Now I reckon dating, especially in our modern world, must feel like a bit of hide and seek. Will she text back? He loves me, he loves me not. You see, there's something about love that can overcome our insecurities, make us feel like royalty, and at the same time, makes us feel like we'd prefer to run and hide. Part of growing up today is learning how to hide parts of ourselves, especially on social media. I was reading um, this kind of blog article by a teenage girl from a couple of years ago. She said, you know, party photo, share that. Holidaying, share that. Um, in love, share that. Fighting with my family, don't share. Um, just, have, just had a breakup, pass. That photo where I feel a bit, you know, that I'm looking a bit fat, delete. We're, we're kind of learning in our modern world how to hide parts of ourselves. Um, in our relationships, in our, our marriages, there are times when we do open up and we're hurt. And it's almost like we make a mental note that just I'm not going to go there again and I'm not going to open up about that. I'm going to make sure that part of me stays hidden so I don't get hurt again. Maybe some of us come into churches and we can't quite imagine kind of getting involved in something like a small group because we know it's going to confront us and we're going to have to open up and people are going to get to know us and that is just a bit too uncomfortable for us. Maybe we've decided that our longings for intimacy and community and relationships we're actually going to try and satisfy in ways that feel a bit safer. We give away signals to others, just, just don't get too close. Don't ask me too many questions about me. Maybe we kind of think, I'll just kind of try and keep my relationships online because it's just a bit more under my control about what's out there and what's private. Maybe we try and satisfy some of our sexual longings with pornography. You see, all of that tries to find intimacy by hiding and ends up with us feeling more isolated. And the problem is that we've been created to know and be known by others. And there's this problem with hiding ourselves. 
C.S. Lewis puts it like this. This quote's on the screen. He says, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to be exposed and to feel naked at times. That means at some point we will actually be exposed and rejected and feel ashamed. And it's interesting, isn't it, sometimes when we talk about shame, we say that it feels like dying a thousand deaths on the inside. And that's true whether we're talking about um, a lover or a friend or a parent or a child or a family member. So here's the thing, I mean, if only we could find love where we didn't have to hide ourselves. I think Song of Songs Songs gives us like this little glimmer of hope that, that that kind of love might still be possible to find in this broken, messy world. Except that even the best relationships can only ever be a taste of true love. The fairy tale wording crashes back to reality. Our best friend betrays us. The sex is just mediocre. And we learn to hide and to hold back parts of ourselves that we are worried we'll be rejected for. And all of that stuff is just in the best relationships, which seem even harder to maintain in our modern world. But then you could just ask the Samaritan woman from John chapter 4. She's had five husbands and the current guy she's not even married to. But when Jesus offers her living water, the, the kind of experience of joy and hope and love that will fill her and transform her and overwhelm her and satisfy and fulfill her, Jesus, Jesus already knows about her shady past. He already knows the lot. All the stuff that she wished was hidden, but somehow Jesus already knows. And so here's the thing, Jesus knew her, he saw right through her and still loves and wants a relationship with her, still offers her living water. Romans 5, 8, Romans 5 verse 8 says that the same is true of us, that God has demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we're at our best, but when we're at our worst. Jesus, it's as if in kind of the mind's eye of God, Jesus knew us and saw right through us. Jesus saw through our selfishness that we bring to so many of our relationships. Jesus saw through the self-protectiveness that keeps us isolated from others. Jesus saw it all. Jesus sees us as we really are, exposed for what we're really like, and he still loved us and died for us. On the cross, Jesus is actually stripped naked for our sins so that we can be clothed with his righteousness. Jesus is shamed. Jesus dies a thousand deaths on the cross so that his one death 
will mean that we are loved forever and never rejected by God. Tim Keller writes in his book on marriage on the screen, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. A love where we could be fully known and truly loved, even the best friendships, marriages, just give us a glimpse of that, but that true love that we seek where we don't have to hide is only truly found in Jesus Christ. And friends, when you accept that, and when you trust, the more you trust that in Jesus you are fully known and fully loved, it gives hope for all of our other relationships. It tells us that we can have intimacy without sex, something our world desperately needs to know. It helps us grow the friendships that we need and to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, where we can actually open up with others because we're not controlled by having to hide anymore because we've got Jesus' love that, that means we can cope with rejection. Although Jesus' love also means that we don't need to kind of open up and expose everything and do that overshare thing. Some of us do that sometimes out of kind of trying to be needy in those relationships and needing affirmation. But actually, if we have that from Jesus already, it frees us to focus on the needs of others in our relationships. If you're single, you don't have to find someone to love you for you to matter and be loved because there is somebody who has loved you at the cost of his blood. He's already loved you. That means if you're single, you don't need to rush into a relationship, nor to fear relationships. In our friendships and marriages, this means that we can be more secure and more loving because you won't live or die based on whether that person accepts or rejects you because you you have that love in Jesus where you are fully known and fully loved. Now, friends, there is something about love that makes for singing. You know, it's interesting. Other religions chant, but Christians have always sung because we have a love and a lover worth singing about. And we're going to do that in a moment. Why don't we pray first? I'm just going to give you a moment of quietness to do business with God and you might want to talk with God about some of your fears or hurts or doubts or rejection and just take a moment and then I'll lead us in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Hebrews 4 reminds us that nothing in all creation is hidden from your sight. You know us deeply, truly, for all that we are. You know our fears and our doubts and our insecurities. You know our selfishness and our self-righteousness. 
before you we are exposed for what we are really like. And Heavenly Father, that could be the worst news in the universe if it weren't for the fact that in Jesus we are fully loved. So Father, I pray for my friends and sisters and brothers here. Please would you help us to know and to trust, to accept, to rely upon and to live out the fact that in Jesus we are fully known and fully loved. Father, we pray that that would bring a a renewed joy to our relationship with you. And Father, we pray that it would give us a freedom and security to love others for their needs and not our own. And so, Heavenly Father, please would you overwhelm us with this love that you have shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about St Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au.